Welcome to Neo Chats, an interview-style podcast focusing on educating neonatal nurses, caring for newborns and their families, hosted by Jenna Morton. It is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses, a nonprofit organization committed to the health and well-being of newborns and their families. Welcome to episode three in our Neo Chat series on infectious diseases in the NICU. I'm your host, Jenna Morton. In 2023, the Canadian Pediatric Society released a position paper offering recommendations for reducing perinatal infection risk in infants whose mothers may have passed on sexually transmitted and bloodborne infections. On this episode, we hear from Dr. Ari Bittman, a member of the Society's Infectious Disease and Immunization Committee and one of the paper's principal authors. Dr. Bittman is a professor of pediatrics at the University of Toronto and director of the Family-Centered HIV Clinic and the Congenital and Perinatal Infection Clinic at SickKids. Welcome to NeoChats. Happy to be here. Can you tell me why was this position paper important right now? Okay, I think it's been important for a while. We've wanted to put out this statement for some time. It was a matter of defining the scope because it's a very broad topic. There's also a lot of uh, issues that are not infectious. Uh, and so part of the decision was, because that's such a large topic, was to, uh, from our committee is the infectious disease committee, is to just have a focus on the infectious disease aspects of this. The reason I think it's important, um, and I don't know that we have precise statistics, but there is definitely an increased issue with women often from underprivileged privileged backgrounds who are not receiving adequate prenatal care. That in and, of, in and of itself is not at risk for infections, but it's the uh, behaviors or, well, the behaviors that may go along with that that put them at risk, whether it's involvement in sex trade, trading sex for drugs, injection drug use, Unfortunately, we're seeing a fair amount of this, and it does come along with an increased risk of sexually transmitted and bloodborne infections. Uh, in particular, the ones that we focus on are HIV, hepatitis C, hepatitis B, syphilis, and to a lesser extent, um, but still important, are gonorrhea and chlamydia. Those would be the, I guess, the big six. From the viewpoint of the neonatal environment and the NICU, what does this mean for the healthcare team that has to to help these mothers and particularly these infants who do have these infections? I think the, the main point here is if is if uh, you have mothers or women who are coming in in labor who received inadequate antenatal care so that you either have no prenatal um, infectious disease workup like they're supposed to have, um, or let's say they had it um, early on in pregnancy and then were lost to follow up and are at risk, increased risk and didn't have repeat testing for certain things, you know, both for the health of the mother and for the health of her baby, uh, doing testing uh, around the time of labor and delivery is helpful because then you can if there's anything that you find, you can both treat the mother 
and um, either prevent or treat the baby depending on the situation. So it's good for both of them. What are some of those interventions and methods and prevention pieces with testing that we can be doing once we're at the point where the baby is already in the NICU? Right. So the first point there would be, uh, the first question would be, is the mother available? If the mother is available, uh, the first step, even before you do the test, it seems count, it seems kind of obvious, but it's so often not done well, is getting a good history from the mom. Like really assessing what a risk is. I mean, it may be that she has no antenatal care, but actually is not at particularly elevated risk versus someone who injects drugs daily and shares needles daily is a completely different, those are two completely different circumstances. Just to assess the risk. Now, I think you should test all of those women anyway, but it does give you a sense of what you're going to be a bit more concerned about. So that would be the first step. And then it's the organisms that I mentioned, which would be the key ones that I would test for. And in particular, the ones where we have an intervention that can either reduce or eliminate the risk or allow for appropriate follow-up in the event that something comes up that that you need to treat. I'm wondering if you have any idea of what the, the rate of testing is, you know, across NICUs throughout the country, is there a consistency in terms of how often we're testing for things if we don't have that history? I couldn't give you statistics. I think in general, it's done, the basic things are done reasonably well. So most of the time there's documentation, at least in the notes of, you know, the, of the, of the main things that we test for as part of routine care. So the, so that would be HIV, which would be part of routine syphilis, um, hepatitis B, um, uh, and then the gonorrhea chlamydia. The, the hepatitis C has not yet become routine in Canada. I think I expect it to become routine imminently because the Society of Obstetrics and Gynecology, I think, is going to implement that. It already is implemented in the U.S. to include hep C as part of the routine prenatal. So I think those things are usually documented pretty well. If they're done, I think the main point I would make is anyone who has not had those done should should have it all done at the time of labor or immediately after. And some of those should be done more urgently uh, because there's sort of more urgent interventions. So those would be like the HIV, hepatitis C and syphilis in particular. Hepatitis C there's nothing, there's no urgency because we wouldn't intervene with respect to the baby for some time. We would follow the baby to see their status. And then at some years of age, they might get treated if they're infected. But the other three that I mentioned, there's interventions that you would implement or potentially implement right away, either as prevention or treatment. Um, the other one, if a mother was to test positive for gonorrhea and not have received treatment prior to delivery, then the the baby would get uh, a prophylactic dose of antibiotics. So there's some of them. Chlamydia is a little different because we kind of monitor for symptoms. But the other ones that I mentioned, there's some interventions that we could implement to reduce risk or treat infection if it's present. There may be some people who are listening who are still still are fearful of these infections and the, the connotations around these. 
Can you talk a little bit about what it takes to to properly care for an infant who maybe has gone through and we have found out that they do have some of these infections to deal with? Start with HIV. So HIV is fortunately now kind of seen as a chronic disease. It is a little bit more complicated to treat babies because the options for treatment are more limited. You have to have formulations that are liquids and so forth, but we do have effective treatments available that if given, if administered consistently, uh, really suppress viral load and we kind of tell mothers and fathers and children once they're at that appropriate age that they can essentially have a normal life if they're consistent with their medications and take them. So. Essentially, we've converted what used to be a devastating condition to, you know, you'd not, you'd rather not, obviously, but, but if you do, it's treatable and you can, you can have a, a good life, uh, kind of like other chronic conditions. So that's HIV. Uh, syphilis, uh, in infants, important to make the diagnosis as early as possible. And that's why we'll treat the ones that are suspected as well, because um, if you get sick with syphilis, like if you develop congenital syphilis symptoms, those can be quite severe and can be quite damaging. And so not all of those manifestations will be completely reversible. But if you treat in time, essentially it's curative, just like with adults. The treatment is slightly different in babies in that they don't get intravascular doses. They get 10 days of intravenous penicillin, but it is curative. Uh, hepatitis B, we obviously have very effective preventive interventions with vaccine and immune globulin. If we know that we, if there's a risk and we give it within 12 hours, generally speaking. Uh, hepatitis C, it's more a question of uh, following to see if they're infected. The risk of vertical transmissions only about 6% on average. But if infected, then they would be followed by someone who has expertise in management. Um, and if they don't sero-revert on their own, in other words, if they don't uh, sort of spontaneously clear the infection, then at, a, at an older age, they would receive treatment. But there's no urgency generally with that because it's a pretty slowly progressive condition. Gonorrhea, the treatment is highly effective um, if you treat it in time. And chlamydia is more of a, is a less severe, but potentially if they develop pneumonia or, or significant conjunctivitis, it can be uh, potentially problem injurious if you don't treat them. So, but with chlamydia, we usually monitor for symptoms if we know a baby's exposed as opposed to prophylactically treating them. So basically we can improve outcomes significantly for the baby is the bottom line for pretty much all of these. <laughs> well, which is why the, the focus can be so much yeah. more on just even reducing the infection to begin with. Since we have right. the, the treatments, what can we do yeah. to have to use them even less? <laughs> yeah, agree. I'm wondering uh, to wrap up if maybe you could reflect a little bit on on what the burden on the healthcare system might be and why why reduction would be important not just from a, the emotional standpoint of of course we want fewer babies born with infection but what what is the the cost on the healthcare system to to have these infants being born with such risk factors yeah, so with the risk factors, I mean it involves obviously additional blood work, it might involve additional treatments. Um, they might, syphilis, they have to stay in hospital most of the time to get their penicillin. Um, and then obviously they would need follow up. Um, compared to other things, I'm not sure it's more expensive, but it's clearly a, a burden. And, and if you, if you pass on one of these infections, especially the chronic ones, 
Um, like let's say you pass on HIV, although their outcome is good nowadays with treatment, they're still they're still accessing the healthcare system for the, essentially the rest of their lives um, on medications that are not cheap. Um, they may not be paying for them themselves uh, if they've got coverage, but it's still over a thousand dollars typically per month if you look at cost of medication. So that adds up. Um, and if you've got chronic hepatitis B, you know we don't. First of all, we don't have very effective treatments, curative treatments for that. So that's again a chronic situation. Hep C, fortunately, is curative for the most part nowadays, but it's still an expense to give someone an expensive medication for 12 weeks. Is there anything else around the recommendation paper or or the topic in general that you'd like to share before we wrap up? Yeah, so I would say a couple of things. So one, uh, it's not uncommon that uh, we have these situations where the mother often living on the street or situations like that, where um, she comes into the hospital, delivers and leaves. Uh, and so those are babies that are then most of the time in foster care or kinship care or something like that. So a couple of things. One, uh, those mothers are not available for testing. And so then you're relying on testing of the infant where you're in essence testing the mother. Right. So you're testing, you're sending antibody tests that don't tell you the baby's infected necessarily, but they tell you that the baby was exposed. So, if, for example, if their HIV serology is reactive, then you know, that's probably maternal antibody, you know, the baby's at risk. Um, so that would prove HIV, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, syphilis. With respect to chlamydia and gonorrhea, we wouldn't test the baby automatically. We would monitor for symptoms in that circumstance. But the other four, we would test the infant to kind of define maternal status. Uh, and then what would be involved? So let's say you had a scenario like that. So that's a mom who was probably, let's say HIV comes back positive. That mom was not on appropriate treatment, obviously, or most likely. Um, and so if you have uh, now a new diagnosis of the mother based on a test in an infant, that baby would be at particularly high risk uh, of acquiring HIV. So often those babies will go on combination antiretroviral therapy. So three drugs for at least four to six weeks as quote unquote, mostly to try and prevent vertical transmission because most transmission happen around the time of delivery um, until you know whether they're positive or negative. So that's with respect to HIV. With respect to hepatitis B, like you you don't know mom's status. So uh, it's a little harder there because the only clue you might have is if the hepatitis B surface antibody is negative then that might be a clue that mom might have chronic hepatitis B, but you don't really have a test that will really show. So those babies would automatically typically get HBGN vaccine because you just don't know. With respect to hepatitis C, it helps you say, okay, this is a hepatitis C exposed baby. I'm going to follow this baby uh, to define their status up to 18 months. And then you know for sure whether they're infected or not. And obviously if the syphilis comes back positive, then that baby, because the mom you don't know that the mother was appropriately treated, probably was not. Uh, so then the baby would automatically get a workup and get their 10 days of penicillin. And then you would follow that baby because you don't actually know that they have syphilis or not. You just call them a suspected or possible case. And then you'd monitor them to decide over time whether they had it or not. So uh, there's those two scenarios. Mom's available, mom's not available. And then how you do the testing in mom if she's available and what testing you do on the infant if the mom's not available. And then each pathogen would have its particular management that you 
would implement. One of the controversial ones that comes up sometimes um, is if you have a mother who's you consider to be at very high risk. So let's take the mom who shares needles and injects every day and was doing so up until time of delivery. And the initial HIV serology comes back positive uh, or negative. Sorry, it comes back negative. So then you're in a scenario where, okay, she's probably uninfected, but because of all those high-risk behaviors, is it possible she acquired infection relatively late in gestation before she seroconverts? And that's where sometimes there's some nuances where you might consider prophylactic medication to the infant. Those are hard calls. And I think that's why infectious disease would often be involved in those decisions because, uh, especially if the mother's not available, uh, it becomes difficult because you, you don't really have anything to follow other than the infant. So there can be some nuances and difficulties in some scenarios, but those are some of the that come up. I think if you look at the, at the big picture, um, you know, obviously these are all preventable. Uh, so these are all preventable conditions. That's why they're part of the screening. Um, and at the end of the day, the optimal strategy would be to optimize care of the mothers. <laughs> so get them into care, you know, whether that's through community outreach, uh, to underprivileged women, women that live in rural locations and have high-risk behaviors? Is there, is there, are there ways that we can engage them better in care so that they can get treated when they need treatment better and that one treats them, reduces the risk to their infant, and everyone's better off in that sense? So I think that's an increasing challenge, uh, not just in Canada, but, but, uh, we're seeing it in other countries as well. Um, and it, something that our healthcare system is not doing a good job of. It's, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but 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 it is a, a, an area that could be improved significantly. Just thinking of that in terms of our audience of NICU nurses, if they do yeah. have the opportunity to speak with a mother who did not receive care, but is now more aware and open to that for future deliveries and possible pregnancies, what would you want nurses to be trying to to share with those mothers in terms of future risk reduction? Right. So, I mean, I think just explaining the conditions um, and doing so in a, uh, you know, in a non-judgmental way, like to trying to take away the stigma from the discussion and just talk about how these are infections that are known to be, can potentially be acquired through sex or through other means. And, they're highly treatable, um, and, um, you know, confidentiality will be preserved. And if you want, and, and it's going to be in your best interest for your own health and your baby's health. And I think most women will, uh, will go for that. I mean, I think pretty much all of them would want that. So, I mean, the, the lack of access is more, uh, you know, are there things that arise in someone's life that make them not access care? And that, and that's a difficult, area but i think if they have the if they have the knowledge right if they have the knowledge of conditions and it doesn't need to be that detailed they just need to know that there's some infections that you screen for that we can treat you and prevent your baby from having them i think that's probably all you need it doesn't need to be much more detailed than that i think that's perfect i think there's there's probably a lot of people especially in the medical field who are so full of knowledge that forget that for the general population, some of these things aren't common knowledge and, and reminding right. people that 
what might be available is very powerful. So, yeah, I also also think it doesn't need to be. It's not like you need to give them a full amount of detail about it too. Like it's just mentioning that there's these infections, then we can treat them, and uh, it's good to get them get yourself tested for them for that reason. Well, you say just being that very matter of fact about it takes the stigma away. It's it's just a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Okay. Dr. Ari Bittman is a professor of pediatrics at the University of Toronto and director of the Family-Centered HIV Clinic and the Congenital and Perinatal Infection Clinic at SickKids. He's one of the authors of the Canadian Pediatric Society's position paper, Reducing Perinatal Infection Risk in Newborns of Mothers Who Received Inadequate Prenatal Care. You can find that paper on their website, cps.ca. NeoChats is a project of the Canadian Association of Neonatal Nurses. This podcast is supported by Sanofi Canada as part of an educational sponsorship. Sanofi Canada has not influenced the selection of interviewees, questions, or editing of the content. The content producer and host is Jenna Morton. Technical production by Tosh Taylor of the Podcast Hub. For more information on the association, visit our website at www.neonatalcan.ca or our Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram pages.